I can hear you loud and clear. Let me just turn up on my name. Cool, cool, cool. So, is everything okay for you? Oh uh, yeah, so far so good. No complaints. Cool, cool, cool. I really love our last podcast. And nice. <laughs> yeah, there's like therapists love it. So, uh, first of all, like, I know we've done this before, but still, like, can you introduce yourself for the audience? Sure. Uh, my name is Marco Nunez. I am my performance athletic trainer, coach. I've been practicing this field for, God, almost 24, 25 years. Um, primarily, I spent the first 21 years, 22 years of my career um, in the professional setting. I work with teams like the LA Sparks. Most recently, spent the last 12 seasons with the uh, Los Angeles Lakers of the NBA, and I was uh, the uh, head athletic trainer, uh, director of performance there for for them. Uh, now I am kind of working on my own. I have my own business, kind of concierge service, so I work with private clients, professional athletes, um, type of thing. So that's where I'm at right now. Cool. So last time we talked a lot about basketball. So today mm -hmm. I kind of want to talk. A little bit about baseball, okay? Cool. So, like, first of all, I know there's a lot of like rotation, rotational movement in baseball. So, if you're gonna like analyze like the rotation, like, where would you start? Uh, well, the first place I would probably start in the hips. Because um, that's kind of majority of the rotation, especially in baseball, would come from um, hip mobility, low back mobility, kind of in the pelvis area. Make sure they have proper mobility in the area. I've always been a proponent of the kinetic chain, and I've always been a proponent about how everything starts in the center and or the core, as, as they call it, and it kind of goes out, not from out going in type of thing. So I always kind of start there. So even somebody that has something simple, um, I guess in this case, um, it's since we're talking about baseball. Um, let's say if somebody starts having some shoulder uh, shoulder issues or shoulder problems type of thing, I may treat them as far as to try to control the pain in the shoulder area, but I would try to look see where they're coming from. And oftentimes either the mechanics are a little off, meaning they're either overcompensating, overusing the shoulder, they may have lack of strength, or they have lack of mobility coming from the, the hips all the way up. They may come from the thoracic area, maybe come from the lumbar area. Um, and that's so, therefore, they're not getting that proper full rotation type of thing to be able to get it. So, therefore, they're using more of their, of their shoulder, their arms, to try to kind of get that velocity that they're trying to get as far as baseball. They're trying to get that 90 mile per hour, you know, 80 mile per hour, kind of launch it. So, it's more shoulder type thing. And as, as you know, baseball, um, and, and the funny thing about it, uh, not only baseball, volleyball, stuff like that, it's all about that rotation back and making sure you have that mobility in the back area before you kind of either hit the ball in the volleyball or you throw the ball up here from the shoulder type of thing. So the, probably the hips would probably be the first area that, uh, that I look at and then work my way up from the lumbar area to the thoracic, cervical, and then to the shoulder girdle, of course, not at the end, see where they're at. So uh, starting from the hip, mm -hmm. and I, I know it's like a complicated joint, but like, uh, can I like tell everyone how does the, how should we, when we like analyze the hip, mobility or like the rotation of the hip what which what should we be looking at uh, i think one of the first things that i'm looking at is lack of hip flexor flexibility or the soas major muscle oftentimes 
Uh, same thing. It kind of goes back with volleyball. When you before you throw the ball, you kind of get that full rotation and that follow through. And if your hips are tight, you're more kind of crunched in when you're trying to throw the ball in this part. So, um, if I had to pick one spot just to start off with, I would probably look at the hip flexor mobility uh, or flexibility in this case. Uh, and so is major. Make sure I release it and it get kind of proper. Or you'll tend to see what's called they have like what's called an anterior pelvic tilt. They're kind of forward, so they don't get that full extension. And then eventually that rotation to be able to throw it, especially with pitchers. Pitchers, when they get off the mound and they extend the leg, they've got to get that forward And if they're so tight and they kind of do this, then it's going to be more from the shoulders and from the, from where it's supposed to be. Okay. Uh, is there like, uh, let's say, is there going to be like how much degree of like inner rotation or like outer rotation of the hip is like uh, – how much rotational movement is enough? Like how many degree? Is there like certain de- uh? Let's say, forgot the English. It's standard. Um, uh, is there a yeah, certain so standard? I don't. Yes, there is a, a a what they call a normative numbers. Normative numbers or normative numbers that you should be able to kind of uh, maintain as far as both internal and external rotation and at the hips type of thing. I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but I'm sure if you look it up, there are normative numbers um, that an athlete should be able to have both in the range of motion, either just in the knee flexion, um, internal external rotation of the hips, extension of the hips, flexion of the hips, um, and stuff and maintaining uh, that stuff. Um, so, so there are what's called what they call normative numbers that your athletes or your individuals should be able to maintain and, and stay at before they either get on the practice field or before in the field or anything of that sort. So is there going to be like, because most of the athletes, they have, like, dominant side, right? So, is there... So, I'm, I'm saying that most of the athletes, they probably have a dominant side, right? Uh, yeah, I think everybody has a dominant side. And not just only athletes. Everybody has a dominant side, whether you're left-right-handed or you're right-handed, right, left leg, right leg, stuff like that. So, um, you know, I've never been a fan of, of, of 100% symmetry. Meaning that, you know, when I look at somebody's pelvis and alignment and I look down at the malleolus, um, there's going to be a little bit slight discrepancy, you know, between one and the other side. And that's kind of normal. That's kind of common. One person's it. But, but when you have a, a, a huge amount of discrepancy, then that's what you're looking at as far as okay, what's going on. Why do they have the, the huge discrepancy? Is it coming from some kind of tightness? Is it coming from lack of mobility? Is it coming from lack of range of motion type of thing? Or is it coming, maybe that's just who they are, that's just how, how they were born and that's how, they, how they've been built and it is what it is type of thing that you kind of follow with it. Sometimes you can fix it with a little bit of orthotic lift to try to kind of bounce it off type of thing. But it's just trying to kind of uh, troubleshoot and see what's going on type of thing. Um, so yes, everybody has a little bit of, you know, no one, I don't think, I personally don't think there's a such thing as a perfect symmetry. No one's like, boom, straight, even 100% type of thing. Um, you know, for example, if, if you go do bicep curls in your arm, you'll notice that one arm, you're like, okay, I'm a little strong on this arm, this strong on that strong. You're so right, right arm dominant that you pick everything up. You know, just when you go to the grocery stores and, and you pick up your groceries, you're going to probably carry more bags on one side because you feel stronger than the other side, and that, just, and that you just kind of get used to. But obviously, and when we train the athletes, we want to kind of try to create a little bit as close symmetry as possible um, type of thing. Cool. So – that's for the hip. How about like uh, thoracic spine and lumbar spine? Is there like certain like uh, things you're going to be looking at or like injury? 
Uh, well, I mean, as far as the thoracic spine, so, so the way you look at, at the, so, so here's the thing about it, okay? Um, the way you look at the kinetic change, you look at the body, there's, there's areas that are going to be stabilizing areas. And then there's areas that are referred to as mobility areas, right? So the lumbar spine is considered a stabilizing area. And that's where you talk about the core. You want to make sure you, you create the, the, uh, the, the uh, posterior chain strength and the area type of thing. So the lumbar spine, the low back, that's considered a stabilizing area. You want to focus it. The thoracic area is more considered a mobility area. So you want to create more mobility in that area, and you want to test see how much mobility you have in that area, especially with baseball players when they rotate to try to kind of make sure to try to get that, that throw. So when you're training somebody, you're working with somebody, and, and, you, and I think that you can find it on the Internet, and you go from the top to bottom. For example, we start from the bottom, the foot. The foot is, this, the, not the ankle, the foot itself is considered a stabilizing area. The ankle is a mobility area. The knee is a stabilizing area. And then you got the hips, you got to create mobility in the hips. Then you got to create stability. And then as you work your way up, stability, mobility, stability, mobility. So the lumbar is definitely a stability area. The hips are the mobility area. That's where you want to create the mobility, but you want to create stability in, in, the, in, the, in the low back. And then thoracic area, that's where we want to make sure we get proper mobility so they can get that movement in there. So is there like certain type of thing that going to like limit the uh, thoracic mobility? Uh, yeah, I mean, the first one off the bat is going to probably the muscular tightness in that area, whether you're looking at the, at the, um, the, uh, the traps, the erector spinae, uh, the, uh, the, the, yeah, the rhomboids in the area. Um, everything's kind of connected. And the other thing you want to look at, and, and, and the way you kind of think about it, for let's take let's the rhomboids, for example, right? Prime example. They're, they connect to the thoracic area and, and, and the spine, but it also connects to, to the scapula. And if they're tight and you have proper mobility in the scapula, you're not going to have proper mobility as well in the lumbar spine. So, so everything's kind of connected. You, kind of make, you got to make, make sure you look at it type of thing at both ends. So one of the first things I, I look at as far as is muscular tightness because it attacks attack to, the, to, the, to the spine that can contribute to lack of mobility, or even the joints itself are just kind of tight in that area. Cool. So does that, does like, like what you just mentioned, like because from the bottom up, you mentioned like foot, ankle, knee, hip, and lumbar spine, thoracic spine, right? So uh, does thoracic, thoracic spine mobility gonna like uh, affect the shoulder mobility or like shoulder stability? You kind of cut out a little bit there, but did you did you ask that if lack of mobility in the thoracic spine is gonna is gonna affect the shoulder? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, well, I mean one hundred percent. It is gonna affect the shoulder if you don't have. And this is that it may not affect it directly, meaning like right away. But what's gonna happen is that if you don't have the proper mobility in the thoracic area, then majority of the forces are going to be going applied by the shoulder. So mainly the shoulder is going to have to work a lot more in order to be able to kind of get that. Um, and, and then vice versa, vice versa kind of goes the, the same way. So I'll give you a prime example. Uh, you know, if you look at your shoulder, right, and you get 180 degrees motion here type of thing. But if someone can get, they don't have that mobility to be able to get their shoulder up this way, what they're going to do in order to get it up, they're going to start hyperextending their back to try to get that up way up. So then they're gonna start having low back problems because they're trying to get reached. And that applies the same thing the other way around. That if they don't have proper mobility, especially in baseball, to try to get that ball going, if the thoracic doesn't move, doesn't rotate like it's supposed to be able to get it, all that force is gonna have to be applied. It's gonna to have to go to the shoulder and they may end up with like some bicipital tendonitis, um, 
some rotator cuff tendonitis about that because that area is going to be overused. The way you got to look, look at it is um, when you hit a ball, when you throw a ball, all those, uh, even like in basketball, right? So let's say, let's say basketball. And I know we're talking about basketball. When you land from, from jumping, right, the forces are applied in three different areas primarily. Your ankle is taking some force because you hit the ground. Your knees are going to take some force to take the ground. And your hips are going to take force to take the ground. So you got to have proper mobility and stability. If you don't have proper mobility in your ankle, when you land, the ankle is going to take less force. So, so those forces are going to go where? They're going to probably go to the, to the knee. And if they go to the knee, you're going to start developing some like patella tendonitis, some quad tendonitis. You may end up with maybe like an ACL tear or something like that. So in order, and same thing in baseball, when you throw the ball, you got to make sure that all those forces, is be, they're being applied to, to, to the thoracic area, the shoulder, the wrist, and follow through type of thing. So, so how we, do, yeah. But, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so if it's like a pitcher, how do mm -hmm. you make sure everything's like, is all right? Every, every, like, everything is like right on like spot. So the, the first off the bat, obviously, you want to look at mobility. Make sure you have proper mobility in the thoracic area. And you want to make sure they have proper mobility in internal and external shoulder mobility in that area type of thing. And then simple test as far as, you know, testing internal external rotation in the shoulder. And then, and then after that, also making sure they have proper stability and strength in that area. Um, kind of go. So you want to start with the mobility. Make sure they have that in the area. And then make sure you have the stability to be able to sustain it. Cool. So, uh when when training like baseball athlete mm -hmm. uh when when is it is it going to be the same for like let's say pitcher and the other is like the one with the bat i, for, I forgot the english the the, the hitter yeah, yeah yeah is it going to be the same or is it slightly different um it's slightly different so it's not going to be so so as far as the pitcher when you look at it you are getting a lot you want to make sure they have proper um, mobility at the hips and especially because they're going to get the extension and also in the thoracic area and you want to make sure you have stabilization in the shoulder type of thing um when you look and, and because they get extension when you look at batters it's it's kind of pretty much the same thing but if, when you look at batters a lot of the power comes from the leg and stepping into the ball and getting that rotation to be able to have the power in there. So you'll see a lot of low, low, more like lower leg strength and stability for hitters. Um, and then pitchers probably more, a little bit more upper and more of the shoulder type of thing because they're constantly throwing over and over and over and over again, where everybody else on the off field, on the field, I don't know the number, but if you look at it per inning, if they're lucky, they may get three throws. Um, you know, some players, if you're on the off field and the ball never goes to the off field, you may never get a throw for that evening. But pitchers are guaranteed to probably throw anywhere minimum between six to 12 throws per inning um, if they're pitching. So you want to kind of focus on that. Hitters, on the other hand, they want to get that power, that quickness, try to be able to sw swing the bat. So everything comes fr from the hips and the legs and the strength kind of go with it. Plus, when they're holding the bat, they're holding it with both hands. So it's not just one hand. Cool. So, uh, when we talk about like performance, let's say like vertical jump, there's mm -hmm. gonna be like elasticity and like uh pure concentric strength, right? Mm -hmm. Is that good? Is, is like that the same with rotations? Some of the athletes have like pure muscle strength, and some of the athletes have like probably better 
uh, upper body elasticity, elasticity, so they kind of like throw faster. Yeah, so it's 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 kind of the, the same kind of concept where you have some basketball players have more elasticity and strength in, in the lower body as far as being able to have their vertical jump, and then you do have some athletes that have more elasticity in, in their in their rotational aspect. So. Um, so, prime example, when you have uh, – we relate basketball to, to ba basketball players to uh, baseball players or hitters in, in this case. And you take, uh, you take a medicine ball, something like that as far as getting explosiveness and lots of ball up-wise to try to get that vertical explosiveness type of thing. That's what you would focus with basketball players. With baseball players, it would be more that rotation where they'll take the medicine ball and they'll launch the medicine ball towards sideways to try to get the rotation against the wall or something like that. So, you're looking more at that. Uh, horizontal rotation versus that vertical rotation for basketball players. It's the same kind of concept, but just in different directions, different patterns that you're looking at. Cool. So is it, is it, how would you train if, if it's like you, how would you train like athletes for like more like elasticity, elasticity for the upper body? Elasticity for, for the upper body? You talking Let's about like let's say the hitter and I want the not just like pure pure muscular strength, probably more of the elastic more how do I how do I say this? Like how about how about I, if we're gonna train a pitcher uh -huh. and if they have like more elasticity in the upper body uh they probably can like throw faster, right? So how would you train that type of quality? So, okay, so you got to be careful with that also. Yes, you, you can increase the elasticity as far as trying to get basically that, that external rotation kind of getting back over here. So you can do some mokes in there. You can do some um, mobility exercise to try to increase that, that power to try to get for them to get more back here to be able to come on forward. But at the same time, you want to make sure you create that stability that when they come forward. So it's not just all about elasticity, elasticity, elasticity. Um, yes, you're right. If you get more elasticity, your arm kind of goes more forward, they get more crank, and they'd be able to kind of move almost like a catapult type of thing. But at the same time, you want to create that stability in, in that area because too much mobility is not always good. Uh, everybody thinks, hey, you don't want to get great mobility. Oh, you get great mobility. But if you don't have that stability, um, then it doesn't help at, at all at the same time. So in this case, yes, you want to increase some of the internal, external rotation on that part. There's a bunch of exercises you can do to try to increase it. But also you want to create the, mus the muscles that are going to create the stability in that area to be able to kind of balance it out. Cool. Cool. So that's for like hip, shoulder, and thoracic spine. How about like the foot? How does the foot going to affect like rotational movement? Rotation movement where? Just overall? Yeah, overall. So, so if you look at the foot, and the foot is is a, st a stability joint. One of the first areas you want to look look at, um, you're looking at the ankle joint itself, and you want to create mobility in the ankle joint, kind of specifically dorsiflexion. But if you look at it, and we, we and again we go back to the hips, or we go back to the core type of thing. There's been plenty of research that even athletes that have a recurrent ankle history of ankle sprains, you want to start at the hips. Um, that stability and create that kinetic, kinetic chain goes from the hips to the knee 
to the foot and to the ankle type of thing. So it's not just doing, you know, a lot of people do do what's called the PNF patterns. They do like the dorsiflexion, eversion, eversion on the table and stuff like that. And those are fine to do as far as exercise, but you want to create work around, around the kinetic chain. Something simple, if you have athletes that have chronic ankle stability, have them do a single leg balance test and just have them stand there and see how well they kind of maintain it with a sl sl slight knee bend or have them hold that position and bend down and try to pick something off, off the floor. And you'll be surprised how, how lack of stability they have in that area. Even though on a table, they're able to do like the black band this way, they're able to do the, the PNF patterns and they have great strength, but they don't have that stability coming from the hips and all the way kind of working down from the hips to the knee and to the ankle. Um, one of the areas a lot of people tend to forget when you work um, in, in, in the ankle or the foot for stability is the flexor hallux longus, the great toe. You want to make sure that they focus that when they're doing it, that great toe stays down and, and, and works its way. So one thing that I like to do is I like to put a towel underneath, their, underneath that big toe and force them to push that big toe down. And what I'm doing is I'm yanking that, toe, that towel out, and their job is not to let me pull that towel out. And that way they're, they're forcing and creating that stability. So, you, so put, that, put a towel underneath the big toe and have them push down on the towel. And you as a therapist, you're just kind of tugging, tugging as they're doing this, the balancing movement to make sure that they maintain that. Why is, why is the big toe so important? Well, it, it's one of the key stabilizer muscles. So a lot of people, the flexor hallux is longer stabilizer muscle for the foot and ankle. The soleus is a great stabilizer. As we know, that, well, that you, obviously you have two muscles in the calves. You have the gastroc and the soleus. The gastroc is more of a power muscle, right? That's the one that explodes and kind of gets it. But the soleus is one of the, is the stabilizing muscle. So, so when you're walking, the soleus is the one that, that maintains that area in the parts. You want to make sure, um, you know, you see a lot of athletes doing um, uh, straight leg ra uh, calf raises, right? Because they want to get the calf and they want to get the power type of thing. But on the landing mechanics, yes, the, the cast rock will help you explode. But on the landing to stabilize, you want to also work on the soleus. So that you look at the soleus as one of the key muscles, the, both the posterior, the posterior and the um, uh, anterior tibialis muscles are great, are key stabilizing muscles for the ankle and the foot. And the flexor hallucalongus um, is a key stabilizer for that area. And not only that, but if you think about it, anytime you run, when you push off your foot, which is the last thing that touches the ground? Big toe. The big toe, exactly. <laughs> when you are, when you jump, and when you're landing from a jump, what's the first thing that touches the ground? The big toe. The yeah. big toe, exactly. So the yeah. big toe, last one that touches the ground, and the big toe is the first one that touches the ground when you land. So if you don't, if, if, as soon as the big toe touches, the big toe is activated, and then it kind of goes the whole entire way. Cool. So, uh, how about how about because we talk about like rotational movement. Uh -huh. And like vertical jump, right? Yep. How about like how like how does the foot mobility or like foot strength going to help our athletes if we train like let's say probably like American football or like basketball players? Is it going to help and why? Having mob mobility in the in the yeah. in the ankle. Yeah, or mobility in the ankle and like training the foot strength. Yeah, so, so it's the same thing kind of we, we talked about, especially as far as prevention, right? Um, like we talked about, if when you jump, obviously between the ankle, the knee, and the, um, and the hips, the ankle is the one that kind of lands, it finishes off. But then the ankle is the first one that, that lands in the area. So you have to have, so 
when you think about this, when you hit the ground, right? Kind of the, we, we're probably getting a little bit into, into physics class here. When you hit the ground, that impact has to go, goes up your body, right? It, it goes all the way up. Uh, the first thing that hits is the ankle, right? So the ankle is going to take some of the force. And if you have proper range of motion, the ankle is going to take the, the, its appropriate force. Then it's going to go to the knee. And then it's going to go up to the other way to the hips. If you have lack of mobility in the ankle, and I think I have a, I have a video, um, and I know I can't show it here, but in one a presentation where you have, um, you have two athletes, and one athlete jumps and lands, and they have proper ankle mobility, and they kind of they take this off, and you can see that the ankle takes takes some of the load, the knees kind of stay parallel even, and then the hips, and then the other person where they have poor ankle mobility when they land, they're more stiff their knees start caving in because now the knees are taking more of the force of that thing. And if, and if they don't have the proper strength to stabilize those knees, the knees are going to cave in, which then you're going to, you're, you're at higher risk of injury. So bottom line, you have to have proper mobility of the ankle for it to take the force that's being applied. If not, those forces are going to go to the knee where you kind of don't want it because then you're going to start developing some chronic issues or the hips type of thing. So ankle mobility is key both on the landing and the explosiveness type of thing. So it's the same with like multi-directional movement, right? Let's say like shuffle and like cross. It's it's about the same, right? Exactly. Cool. So, uh, last time we talked a lot about basketball, but today, uh, what is like the most common injury for like baseball players? Ooh, baseball players! I haven't worked baseball in a while. Um. Most probably most common soft tissue injury in baseball, but I think this this is very common. Is probably hamstring hamstring strains. It's that quick explosiveness, and and I think any sport that involves change of direction um, and that quick acceleration deceleration, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball, whether it's soccer, whether it's football, whether it's rugby, anything of that sort. I think hamstrings are probably the number one soft tissue injury among those sports that you want to kind of um, uh, train in an aspect. Um, and then I, I think if you're looking at um, uh, pitchers, it's going to probably more of some tendonitis issues over injuries in the shoulder um, and the elbow type of thing. So how do we like train our athletes to be, let's say we focus on the shoulder and the elbow, how do we like train them to be stronger at the shoulder part and the elbow? Uh, so one is so so you work so here's the thing you work on the mobility in the shoulder number one right you work on the strength in the shoulder number two and then number three three you also work on the stability in in the shoulder right and then four you also work on rhythmic stabilization so basically um, it, it's one of those things where you one get the range of motion right you, you can get in the part you work on the strength doing basic strength strength exercises to work all the muscles in there you know, uh, with the bands or whatever type of thing, creates stability in that area, but then create some rhythmic stabilization. So what we're trying to do, we're trying to create that quick concentric, eccentric fire of the muscle back and forth, back and forth. That also applies to the hamstring muscle, that quick contraction, eccentric. I think if you go to my uh, my Instagram, um, I, I don't know if I posted it yet. Uh, I may post it in this week where I was working with an athlete for hamstrings. And what I had them do, they were laying down prone, right? They were, laying, uh, they were prone with their knee bent. And I was pulling on, on their hamstring. And what they were supposed to do, they were supposed to release, hold it, and then release the hamstring, and then but hit the brake and stop it at a certain point. So it's that quick braking system that you want to do also with the shoulder 
um, it's, it's referred to rhythmic stabilization. It's not just basic stabilization. So rhythmic is when it's constantly moving up and down, up and down, it's contracting eccentric, back and forth, back and forth. Oh, that's cool. And like, like you said, if it's like, uh, like, yeah, probably like sprinter or like basketball player, we can use that on hamstring shit, like what you just mentioned, right? Yep, because it's, it's, it's a change of direction, that explosiveness, that, that constant back and forth, back and forth, and that's what you want to do. So if you, if you go online and you look it up, it's called rhythmic civilization, whether it's in the hamstring muscle or in the shoulder. So uh, let's say if, if we're going to put in, in our like training program, what should the rhythmic stabilization be putting on? Is it like the warm-up or like the main exercise? I would probably do like the main exercise towards the end. So you would do mobility first, right? Then you got the strength, um, then the, the stability ones, and then throw in the rhythmic stabilization as a fourth one in there. Cool, cool. So that's like for the shoulder and like, let's say hamstring. What about elbow? Because I know there's a lot of like athletes or pitcher going to be injury in their elbow and probably need to like do, do some surgery like Tommy John, right? Am I right? Yes, yeah, Tommy John is the, the most common one as far as for the, the, the ligament and the elbow that they tend to do, to kind of tear up. Um, it, it, I mean, it, the whole area here would be the same motion. So when you do rhythmic stabilization, you want to simulate the same throwing. So you want to keep him. So what, what I do is I have him in different angles uh, of the throwing motion, straight forward, open up, you know, uh, straight 45 degrees and then like 90 degree angle. And I work with them, that type of thing. So I don't know if you can see. So here... Obviously, like when you do the old traditional internal external rotation, right? Yeah. You, this angle, which is like, you know, zero degrees, and then you open it up, make sure you hold them at 45 degrees, and then you do one at 90 degrees when it's, it's straight up here and kind of do that motion. And then same thing, you do boom, boom, rhythmic motions here, boom, boom, rhythmic motions here, and boom, boom, rhythmic motions in this area because you're trying to simulate. And then not only here, but also in extension. Make sure they extend and do rhythmic stabilization because you're trying to get that whole entire range of motion. Get it. That was cool. That was cool. So, uh, if if we're gonna train, like, let's say, let our like pitcher be, to be like durable for the whole season, mm -hmm. and I don't know, I don't know how this, how is the schedule for like the major league. Um, uh, as far as the major leagues, I think they, they play 182 games. They usually play three games back to back, uh, three games in a row. They, they take a day or two off because they travel, um, and they play three games again. Um, but they play 182 games, which is a lot of games. So how, how do we put these things for our athletes? So, I mean, the, the mobility can do pretty much every day because you have to maintain it. The stability exercises you can do every day because you have to maintain it as well. It can be part of the activation, part of the program. And even the rhythmic ones can be done every day because everything that you do, um, you do with lightweight, light TheraBand. It's basically trying to get the muscle activated and be able to sustain the durability of the muscle during those activities. Um, but the heavy lifting obviously is always done during the off-season, um, during the periodization period in the off-season type of thing. So mobility can be done every single day. Um, part of their, their pre-game or pre-practice activation and rhythmic can be done, incorporated every single day, uh, no matter what. I, I, not only that, but I think it should be incorporated into the, as part of their warm-up, as part of their program, um, whether it's a practice, practice session or it's a game session. 
And is there going to be like uh, any like because when we talk like like, like tendon or like lig- ligaments, sometimes we talk like we train like iso hold, like what yep. we just mentioned last time. Is there like I any like iso hold is good for our like uh, shoulder or like elbow? So iso holds are good. The one I like to do more is eccentric contractions where where you uh resist the, the individual and the individual has control something like um uh if we're looking for at patella tendonitis patella tendonitis has been plenty of research when you do eccentric contraction eccentric quad holds on the part are, are great for, for that part so it's not only the pushing up but it's more the other put uh kind of going down type of thing so eccentric holds or eccentric contractions are great exercises to try to um you can't really strengthen the, the tendon but you can um What's the word? Uh, increase the durability of the tendon. So eccentric for like shoulder and elbows. Right. What? I, I can't think of like anything, any, any way is eccentric for like the elbow. So it, it's, it's the same thing. So, so put it this way. So eccentric, right? So when yeah. you're here, right? And, yeah. and you, obviously if there's a band, if there's a band, let's say there's a band, oh. right? And you go out this way. So you start, you know, you hold it. So you do the opposite where somebody holds it. And what they do, they're pulling you and you're resisting them from kind of pulling back. So in this case, it's not you pulling the band. is you're resisting from the band being pu- pulling you, so to speak. So that's kind of like the opposite type of thing. You know, just like when you think, when you think of an eccentric squat, right? Yeah. Eccentric squat, when you squat down, you're more focused about coming up, right? Yeah. But instead but it's more you're going slowly down. You're controlling the weight. You're not, you're not just dropping down on a squat. You're going nice and slow. You're controlling. So that's eccentric. It's the same motion when you do the, the shoulder um, exercises that instead of you pulling on the band, the band is pulling you and you're resisting kind of coming back on the part and you're in complete and control. So that's why whenever I work with, with anybody, it's all of, even when you do band work, um, I tell them you're in control of the band. Don't let the band control you, meaning don't, when you do the contraction, don't let the band pull you back. You got to be, you're in control going slowly. It doesn't have to be super slow, but you got to be in control of the band as well. Just like the weight. When you're squatting, you're not just dropping on the squat, right? You're going nice and slow, controlled, boom, boom, and pop up. If you're focusing on, on the eccentric, obviously there's different techniques, there's different exercises depending on what you're trying to focus on. Cool, cool. So uh, last time we talked about like basketball, today we kind of focused on like baseball and <laughs> When you're like dealing with these two types of players, what are the like the most different you like think it is? I'm sorry, the most different what? Uh, like, 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 and it, sorry, like when you deal with like these two types types of pair, is there like a lot of difference or like it's about the same? Uh, no, I mean, I mean. The, the- always a difference on, on the sport and not on the sport but also the position type of thing um, you have the pitchers you have uh, uh outfielders type of things outfielders do a lot more running um infielders do more of a quick reaction to to the baseball because they're more closer so you can do more quick reaction exercises agility type of things just kind of because when when you're a first baseman shortstop when the ball gets hit to you it's that the ball's going to come to you at full speed and you have like a quick second to kind of react to it. So you're working more on quick reaction w- with, with the infielders. Um, with outfielders, they're covering more distance and they got to explode. They, they, so they're, they're running more at a higher speed 
infielders kind of don't really run that much of a, uh, of a distance because they're only it's a quick dive boom and then throw the ball where outfielders have to kind of sprint so you so you're you're looking at the more of the explosiveness uh velocity uh, try to get a type of thing basketball players obviously um it's more of ankle durability because there's a lot of jumping you're working more plyometrics with them landing and also landing mechanics um type of thing so you have to kind of be a little bit more sport specific but same thing as far as even in basketball, it's also position specific where um, centers, you're also looking more at doing plyometric with both feet because they tend to jump with both feet underneath where point guards, shooting guards are probably more uh, coming off, off the, the dribble and, and pushing off one leg type of thing. Cool. Love it. So that's kind of like all the questions I have for today. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. So still, if there's like audience or like coaches, therapists are interested in what we talked today where can they reach out to you yeah if you guys have any questions regarding that you you guys welcome to dn instagram and marco a nunez 17 um shoot me a, a a message through there and i'll be happy to connect with you guys oh cool and one more thing i have to like i have to say and last time there's a, like a therapist uh -huh. from taiwan and after he saw our like podcast it messaged me and said, I have to put in in like uh, 0.5 speed. Oh, because I talk too fast. <laughs> but it's okay for me. It's okay for me. Yeah, I, 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 I've always had been. I have always had a no, habit. No worries. No worries. <laughs> cool, cool. They can put it on like 0.5 or like 0.75. It's cool. Anyway, they love it. They love it. Good, glad to hear that. So, last time you mentioned like like you're probably gonna go, you're probably still gonna go to like China or like uh, Asia. Is it gonna happen this year? I'm hoping. Um, I don't know because I keep hearing that China still kind of might be still under restriction with COVID and stuff like that. I was hoping to go down there maybe as early as September or October. Um, but I don't know. Right now, to be honest with you, it looks like that may not happen because I haven't scheduled anything yet uh, of that sort. If not, I'm hoping maybe early next year, like maybe in March or something like that. Um, but if, if I do, uh, I'll keep you posted and uh, cool, let you know. Cool. And probably like schedule one in Taiwan, okay? I'll make sure I'll swing by Taiwan for sure. <laughs> Love it. Appreciate it, man. All right, Eric. See you. Appreciate you. it.